our, our message today, um, I've entitled it Reasoning from the Scriptures, and that, that's what we're going to talk about. We see that Paul, uh, that's what he's doing here in the text. But let me just uh, catch us up with the context here, because last Sunday, uh, first service, which is what we're at here, um, we didn't uh, follow through with the remainder of the story there in chapter 16, uh, but I did do that second service. So I- anyway, you know, we left Paul there. Remember, uh, they, were, they were in prison. There was the earthquake, uh, the jailer. Uh, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You and your house shall be saved. And so the jailer and his family were saved. They took Paul and Silas and they, they attended to them. And, and then the part that we didn't get to is the following day, uh, the magistrates sent a message saying, uh, release these guys, let, let them go. And Paul's response was, no, 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 uh, we are Romans, uh, we were beaten, and that's against the law, so the magistrates are going to have to come and get us out themselves. And so the magistrates became uh, fearful because they could easily uh, lose their position over a blunder like that. Uh, but Paul sort of forced that. Uh, using his Roman citizenship as um, a means of pushing back uh, against that persecution that they experienced. And so then they left Philippi and headed toward uh, Thessalonica, where we pick up today. And again, what we see here is... um, The same sort of thing happening. They go into Thessalonica. They go into the synagogue. They preach the gospel. Uh, People respond to it. Jews respond. Uh, Prominent Greeks respond. Prominent women there in the congregation respond. But some of the Jews who are resistant to the message, uh, they gather a mob together and they um, assault them. And so this is kind of the pattern that is uh, developing as they're on this, this missionary journey here in uh, what would have been Greece at the time. But again, I wanna, there's many things that we could talk about here, but I, I wanna focus on just this whole idea of reasoning and specifically reasoning from the scriptures. Now, um, we live in what is rapidly becoming uh, the age of unreason. There, it's, it's unbelievable how unreasonable and irrational uh, people are becoming in our time. But, but this kind of a thing was actually foreseen uh, by others in previous generations. Uh, let me give you an example. G.K. Chesterton, the, he, he wrote this back, he died in 1936. He was uh, English. Uh, but, but he said something um, back in the early part of the 20th century that is so fascinating. He said this, he, he spoke of a world in which a man may be howled down for saying that two and two make four, in which people will persecute the heresy of calling a triangle a three-sided figure and hang a man for maddening a mob with news that grass is green. So, so he, he could see, he could foresee something that I, I think many others did not see. 
but this is the kind of world that we are living in. It is a world that is becoming more and more irrational and unreasonable. But here's the deal. We are called in this environment to get the gospel to people still. As the world goes more and more crazy, we're, we're still called uh, to get the gospel to people. So what are we to do? Well, we are to do what Paul did, and that's what I want to focus on. It says that Paul reasoned with them, and he reasoned with them from the scripture. So what I want to focus on today really is the importance of knowing our Bibles, the importance of knowing our Bibles. Um, everywhere the apostles and the early Christian evangelists went, uh, they proclaimed the word. That was their message. It was, it, was the, it was the gospel, but it was, of course, it was a biblical message, the scriptures. When it says that Paul reasoned with them uh, from the scriptures, talking about the, the, the biblical text. At the time, of course, that would have been predominantly uh, the Old Testament. Um, but just in a general sense, this is what we as Christians are called to do. We are called to um, bring God's word to people. So I want to look at how we do that, how we can prepare ourselves better for that. But we must remember that uh, acts of mercy, kindness, compassion, help, healing, uh, these are all part of what we do as God's people. And uh, we, we don't want to neglect that. We don't want to forget that. We want to always be conscious of the need to be engaged in those kinds of things. But we also have to realize that uh, if a person's going to be saved, they're going to have to hear the gospel because the scripture tells us faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So although mercy and kindness and compassion and love and all of those things, they, in a sense, you know, maybe they pave the way or they soften um, a person's heart or mind uh, to receive the gospel, those things by themselves are, are never going to bring anybody to salvation. There has to be the proclamation of God's word. And so um, if, if we're going to be people in our generation who fulfill the, this commission to get God's word to people, then we are going to have to make sure that it is stored up in our own hearts and ready to be dispensed when the opportunities arise. So we've got to know God's word. Now, let's look at a few things here. First of all, this word reasoned. Paul reasoned with them. And the idea here behind the word is that he uh, presented his case, he argued his case, and he even debated his case from the scripture. So when we're talking about getting God's word to people, that's what we do. We, we present God's word, and we argue for the truth of God's word. We even will need at times to contend for the truth of God's word, so we, we're going to need to debate. And 
this has uh, always, always been the case. Um, you know, th there's a bit of a mentality today that has arisen among some Christians. You know, you, you kind of always have, as we talk about, you know, you, you kind of always have the two extremes. You have, you have the one side where, you know, people are just, you know, preaching down to other people and they're obnoxious and they're rude and they're insensitive and that just kind of turns everybody off. Uh, but then you get, you get the, the pendulum sort of swings all the way to the other side where uh, everybody's so passive and well, we don't want to say anything, we don't want to offend anybody. And so, you know, both of those positions are the wrong position. Um, we have to speak. We have to proclaim God's word if anybody's going to get saved. But of course, we need to do it wisely. We need to do it lovingly and thoughtfully and, and all of those things. So when the apostles, and Paul here in particular, when he presented God's word, that's how he did it. It was a reasonable presentation. Now, so he reasoned, but he reasoned with them, it says, um, from the scriptures. And this is where I really want to focus. Reasoning from the scriptures. Why reason from the scriptures? Well, I don't know if you know this or not, but do you know that most people do not have the slightest idea what the Bible really teaches? Most people do not. There, there's all kinds of surveys. I looked at a bunch of statistics yesterday, and I've read stuff over the years that, that even talk about the Ill, Ill, illiteracy uh, among Christians when it comes to the scriptures. So if there's an illiteracy among Christians regarding the scriptures, uh, you know, when you look outside, you find that it is, you know, multiplied many times over that illiteracy. So the thing is, people don't know what the Bible says, but they have all these assumptions about what it says. They hear little bits and pieces from people, quite often the critics of scripture, uh, they hear little bits and pieces that it says this and it said that and it promotes this and you know, supports that and all of that. So, so people don't know. You know, one of the big current things that uh, are, are being um, dispensed out there in the culture and it's connected to you know, some of the racial tension and all that is that the Bible supported slavery. And so, you know, the slavery in the United States was all basically uh, justified through scripture. So a lot of people believe that. Well, why would I listen to the Bible? The Bible supports slavery. Well, the Bible doesn't support slavery like they're purporting it to be. But we are the ones that <laughs> are responsible to, you know, to argue against that kind of a thing. Um, you know, one of, one of the common things when it comes to uh, same-sex issues, uh, you know, if people refer back to the Old Testament, say back to Leviticus, where it, it condemns same-sex relationships, it also condemns uh, eating lobster. And so a big thing today for people is to say, well, you know, uh, there's no difference between same-sex relationships and eating lobster. It's all the same thing. Uh, because there's a prohibition in Leviticus on um, eat, the eating of shellfish. So, 
if we say that, well, those things don't apply anymore, the Old Testament is no longer uh, you know, applicable in that regard, then people say, oh, well, then uh, same is true of the laws regarding same-sex relations. Just like we throw out the, the no shrimp rule, uh, we throw that out as well. That's not a problem. We are the ones who are called to give a response to that. So we are called to, to reason with people, reason from the scripture. Number one uh, reason we do that is because people don't know what the Bible says. And quite honestly, when people find out what the Bible actually does say, uh, their response quite often will be, um, oh, favorable in a sense. I, I remember years ago, I was, I was talking to a guy who was working on my car and he had all of these ideas about, you know, what the Bible said or didn't say. And he had all of these questions about why people suffered and, um, why there was sickness and disease and death and war and, you know, all, all of those kinds of things. And, in the course of our conversation, I said, well, you know, let me, let me give you the biblical um, reasons behind this stuff. And, and I basically just walked him through the story of the fall in Genesis chapter three. Just, you know, God created everything. Everything was good. God gives man one uh, restriction. Don't eat of the tree in the midst of the garden. And, you know, just walked him through the temptation of, of Adam and Eve and the fall and all of that. And at the end of my presentation, you know what he said to me? He said, that's the best explanation I've ever heard. I thought, well, good. That's great. And a lot of times, that's the case. Uh, again, people don't know what the Bible says. I remember watching a debate with the late Christopher Hitchens. He was debating. I can't remember who it was. Uh, but he was, you know, and, and this guy's supposed to be, you know, he's an atheist. He's the guy who wrote God is not great. He makes millions of dollars going around <laughs> blaspheming essentially is what he did. Um, but you know, he's just supposedly an expert on religion as well. And that's why he's a critic of it. And I remember, um, he's trying to debunk, um, the teaching of Jesus because he, he was arguing that the teaching of Jesus was ridiculous. It was so impractical. And he used a passage uh, from Matthew chapter six, where Jesus says uh, in, the, in the King James version, which by the way is the, is the version that uh, Hitchens would read from, in the King James version, it says this, take no thought for your life. And Christopher Hitchens said, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. This is absurd. Jesus couldn't possibly be the son of God or a prophet or even a wise man because he says, take no thought for your life. He says, uh, you know, don't plan for the future. Don't save, don't put away uh, money for, uh, you know, a rainy day. Uh, don't, don't do anything. Just go through life without thinking. That's what he said Jesus was saying. If he would have just picked up a different translation, he would have found out that that's not what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying, take no anxious thought for your life. Jesus was saying, don't worry about your life. 
because worry's not good for you and you have a heavenly father who is committed to taking care of you. But, you know, so this is the kind of argument that is being put forth to refute listening to Jesus because Jesus gives bad advice. He says, don't think about your future. So you see, here's a guy who really didn't know what Jesus said, but he thought he did. And this is true of many people all around us. So that's the, the first uh, reason why we must reason with people from the scripture because they don't know what the scripture says. Secondly, the scriptures are alive and powerful and pierce the heart. Hebrews 4.12 says this, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and it critiques the thoughts and the intents of the heart. See, I'm saying that we need to argue from Scripture. Now, you can, you can argue from uh, different platforms. Uh, you can argue with people about morals and ethics. You can argue philosophically about morals and, eth and ethics. Uh, you can argue about you know, political positions, and you, you can argue about those kinds of things. You can, you can contend with people. But God's word is that living and powerful word that will make the difference. You see, if, if we argue based upon uh, a philosophy or if we argue just simply based upon our uh, ethical or moral convictions, then we're, we're going to have a, a, a more difficult time uh, with a breakthrough. But whenever we bring God's word to bear on the situation, we have the assurance that this is that living word that is powerful, that it's sharper than a two-edged sword, that it pierces between the soul and the spirit. You see, sometimes it can just be a simple sentence of scripture that could bring down somebody's entire fortress that they've erected against God. That's how powerful God's word is. And that's why we must always reason from the scriptures. We need to always have the scriptures as our primary um, message that, that we are communicating to people. And not just the scriptures in general, although there are times when it can just be something uh, you know, sometimes I've, I've heard many stories about just sometimes a, um, what seems to be like a random word of God that just pierces and, and goes right through. But notice it says that Paul reasoned with them from the scriptures, but what did he emphasize? Look what it says. It says in verse three, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. So when we're talking about reasoning with people from the scripture, this is where we always want to take them. We always want to take them to Jesus. 
the great Victorian preacher Charles Spurgeon, he said, um, you know, whatever your text, um, you know, wh wherever you start in the scripture, just make a beeline for Christ and the cross. Just, just where, where, wherever you start, make, make sure you end up with Jesus. And that is exactly what Paul did. So when it says that he reasoned from the scriptures, specifically he was reasoning from the scriptures about Christ. And, and that is our message to the world. That's, we have got to get the message of Jesus. We've got to get, again, when we talk about getting the gospel to people, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about presenting Christ to people. And once again, I would say in a, a world that's gone mad and people will uh, argue to the, to the death of, in, in support of their position and people are, are irrational and, and blind, you know, just two days ago, right now, they had this big referendum vote in Ireland and it was a vote to um, legalize uh, abortion on demand, basically. And it won by a landslide and people are partying in the streets. It's the greatest thing ever. We get to kill uh, babies in the womb now without the, the guilt being put on us by the church. But you know, I watched, leading up to this referendum vote, I watched several uh, videos of people giving the most eloquent and uh, reasonable and profound arguments as to why you should vote no. But yet those arguments fell apparently on deaf ears. So, you know, we're, this, this is what I was starting with. We're, we're at a point where, where the, the thing that, you know, seems rational, the thing that seems reasonable, like two plus two equaling four. Today, we live in a culture today that says, no, no, it's not four. We don't care what, we don't care what it adds up to. That doesn't matter. So how, how, how do you deal with that? Well, this is where, again, God's word, but specifically Christ. We have to keep, we have to bring Jesus into the picture. And that's what Paul did. And notice what he spoke to them about. He spoke to them about the Christ having to suffer and to rise again. So what, what would be in Included in that. Now, this is undoubtedly just a summary of what Paul talked about, but when, when it says that he spoke to them about the Christ having to suffer, what is that about? Well, there's two things, at least in that. Number one, it would be uh, Christ had to suffer because we are guilty sinners who are condemned, and Christ was taking the punishment we, we deserve upon himself. That's, what it, that's part of what it means that Christ had to suffer. He suffered in our place. We, we are guilty. And again, you know, as we're sharing the gospel with people, we cannot leave out the part about guilt. Again, going back to the Irish Reformation thing, I was reading a, or referendum thing, I was reading a, a quote from someone who was talking about just how wonderful it is now in this day and age 
where they, they're no longer under that, that uh, shame and guilt culture that they used to be under. So they, they saw themselves, many in the, in the nation, they saw themselves under this, this shame and guilt that the church had put upon them. Now, they, this, this guy was saying how wonderful it is to be freed from uh, the shame and the guilt. But the fact of the matter is, no, the guilt remains and the shame will come later when you stand before God and realize that uh, it didn't matter how many people voted on this. It didn't change God's mind about murder. And, but, but again, you know, there's a, there's a big temptation today to kind of stay away from the shame and the guilt stuff. In other words, you know, we don't want to talk to people about their sin, maybe, or, or just sin in, in general. Uh, we don't want to talk to people about guilt, but Jesus died because of sin. He died because we are guilty. And so when Paul tells them about uh, Jesus, this is what he starts with, that he suffered. He suffered in our place. He died the death that we deserve to die. But it also speaks of his love. So the suffering speaks of both things. It, it speaks of, of my guilt and the need for a substitute, but it speaks of Christ's love in that he loved me so much that he willingly gave himself for me. And so this is the message that we share as we share Christ, that yes, we're guilty. We're all sinners, but God loves us and he proved his love. He demonstrated his love for us in that while we are sinners, Christ died for us. So he preached uh, about the suffering and about the resurrection of Christ. You know, I think it's so important when we're talking to people that we just somehow remind people of their mortality. You know, again, it's like in the delusional world that we live in, somehow people have um, just so far pushed out of their minds the idea that death awaits them. But it, but it really does. And of course, that is that, that, that dark reality that, that people don't want to think about. They, they don't want to face it. They don't want to consider it. But it's true. Everyone's going to die. But here's the great news. Jesus conquered death. He conquered death. He rose from the dead. And that was Paul's message as well, that that Christ died for our sin. He took our guilt upon himself. He did it because he loved us. And then he rose up from the grave to conquer death. Now, all of this, Paul is using to point to Jesus as the Christ. And as we're looking at these three things, the suffering of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, and the... Um, I guess the lordship of Christ would be uh, probably the best way to put it. Because Christ, you know, the, the word Christ means the anointed one. So he's the one that God sent into the world as the anointed one to save the world, to save people, to, to basically save the cosmos, to save the, the whole thing. That, that's what Jesus came to do. And so as we talk about 
reason with people about Jesus, reminding them that he is the Christ. And what that means practically is that all things, Paul says this to the Colossians, all things were made by him and for him. In him, all things consist and are held together and you are complete in him. You know, I think of the, the crazy confusion that people live with today. I was talking, uh, Cheryl and I were visiting some friends a couple nights ago and uh, she works in a, she, d- she does this therapy for troubled kids that come from all over the country to her uh, particular thing. She works with horses and she does therapy for troubled kids. And she said she has never seen anything like it. She said one in every like six kids is uh, like their issue is a transgender issue. So, you know, she just said, I've, I've never seen anything like the, the mass confusion that is existing in the minds of children today. And you know, this particular issue is, at the root of it, it's an identity thing. People are trying to find their identity. They, they, you know, they don't feel like they're really what their biological sex tells them they are. They, they feel differently. But you know, the message that we have for those people is that your identity is in your maker. You see, in Jesus, you will find completion. In Jesus, you will find your true identity, your real identity, your real purpose. You're not going to find it in any other place. And, and I think that, again, today, we are living in that climate where we've got to get Jesus and his message, his truth in front of people. So we reason from the scripture, we reason with them about the person of Christ, his substitutionary death, his love that motivated him to die, his resurrection and victory over the grave, and the fact that he made us, he has a plan for us, our true identity is to be found in him. Now, this is what Paul did in Thessalonica. Now, remember, as we read the story, there was an uproar that took place, and uh, Paul ended up having to leave Thessalonica, and he then went to Berea. And in Berea, it says this. It says that the Bereans, they were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. So I, w- I want to just take that searching the scriptures. Because what the Bereans did is what we need to do. We're called to get the gospel out. We live in an irrational age. We've got to get the message of Jesus to people. How do we do that? Well, again, we've got to know the scripture. How do I know the scripture? I've got to search the scriptures myself. You have to search the scripture. We, We cannot allow for uh, biblical illiteracy within the church because the reality is the church is, is the place where the answer should be. God has, has left the church in the world with a message. We, we have the answers. Sometimes I read these, some of these guys who, you know, they want to talk about um, how the church 
you know, they, they just kind of have a bad attitude toward the church. So they're, you know, the church is arrogant. The church thinks it knows everything. Uh, you know, the church should be asking more questions and not trying to give so many answers. Well, I think not. <laughs> we're, we're here to give answers, not to ask questions. You can ask questions along the way if you want to. Sure, you need to ask questions. You need to find out things and know where people are at and all of that. But at the end, uh, you better have an answer. And we're supposed to have an answer. And that's what the Bible tells us to do. Sanctify the Lord in your heart and be ready always to give every person a reason, an answer for the hope that is in you. And so we can do that only if we ourselves are committed to searching the scriptures. Um, and some of these surveys that I was looking at about the, the uh, biblical illiteracy within the church, um, you know, it's various percentages, but a relatively high percentage of people um, who read their Bibles only occasionally. You know, maybe um, in some cases once a week, but in, in most cases, I think the highest percentages were people that, that open their Bible maybe once a month. Now, I'm assuming that that is not the case with us, but um, what, whatever the case might be in any of our lives, we need to be people who are devoted to God's word. We need to get God's word into us. And as we do that, we're going to be able to get it out to those who need it. And so we search the scriptures. How, how do we do that? Well, we just four, four quick things. I've shared these before, but let me just touch on them again. Um, let's, let's just start with reading our Bibles, you know, reading the Bible. You know, culturally, actually, our, our culture is becoming more illiterate. People hardly read these days. And I mean, to some degree, you can understand it, right? We've got all this electronic stuff. We got all of the right at our fingertips. We've got access to, you know, films and, you know, um, but there, we are becoming a, a culture that reads less and less. And that is especially true when it comes to the scriptures. So we need to read the Bible because as you read it, you're just getting yourself accustomed to the story. You're getting familiar with the story. And so reading is, to me, reading is just, it's, you know, it's kind of a surface level thing. It's not all you do, but you start there. Just, but you get to know the general picture of scripture, the, the general plot line. You're kind of looking at the forest. You're getting to familiar with the, the forest. But then you meditate, which is looking a little more specifically, obviously, uh, if we're using the forest analogy. Meditation is looking at um, more, more closely. Uh, the word meditate found in Psalm 1, blessed is the man of the woman whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, they meditate day and night. That word literally means to, um, it means to chew it over. It was a word that referred to um, what the, the cows or the sheep would do. They would chew the cud. And, you know, they, 
you know, the cow has seven stomachs and, you know, the cow chews, digest, regurgitates, chews some more, digest, regurgitates, keeps doing that to get all of the, the nutrients out. So that's the picture behind meditation. So you're, you're thinking about it. You're, you're pondering it. You're, you're talking it over. It, that's a, another idea behind meditate is to talk it over uh, or talk to yourself about it. Talk it over with yourself. Talk it over with God. Studying God's word. There's just slight differences here. Meditation can be study, uh, but study is where you're actually, you know, you're, you're maybe involving some additional tools, like some word studies or some background or a commentary or something like that. And then the memorization of scripture. David said, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. He said, your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. And as, as we take God's word, and as we read it and meditate on it and study it and memorize it, uh, this, it tremendously impacts our own lives, but then it also prepares us for the mission that God has given us to reason with people from the scriptures because we know what God's word says. Now, a few weeks ago, I, um, you know, I do this little video program called uh, Things That Matter where I interview different people. And uh, I interviewed our uh, Bible college director. His name is Andy Dean. And Andy wrote a book, and he actually teaches a class at our Bible college on the, the subject of like studying the Bible. So he wrote a book about it. So we had, we had a conversation about it. And um, you can find that at calvarychapel.com if you want to watch the whole 30-minute uh, interview. But at, at the end of the interview, uh, Andy was telling me a couple of um, methods that he's used in studying scripture that have really been helpful to him and, and a blessing to him. And one of them really stood out to me. And so I, wa I want to share it with you just as something to consider, because we're talking about searching the scriptures, studying the scriptures. You might be saying, I know that. I, 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 I understand that I need to do that. How do I do it? Well, let me give you one um, example of how you might do it. Now, you need a Bible, you need a pen, and you need a notepad. And then here's, here's the method that Andy shared with me, the one that impressed me the most. Um, if you were to take three chapters a day, just, just three chapters a day, and read through three chapters a day, uh, for one, it would take you just a little more than a year to get through the entire Bible. So the goal here isn't necessarily to get through the Bible in a year, but that it would take you just a little more than a year to do that. But, but here's the thing that you do. So three chapters a day in your journal. For each of those chapters, you take one verse, one verse from each chapter, and you write it down in your journal, and then you just write down a, a brief paragraph on what that verse says. 
what it says to you, how it's speaking to you. So if you do that, in one year, you will have meditated on over 1,000 verses. I mean, that to me is pretty amazing to think about. Wow, meditating on a thousand verses. And, and it's up to you. You're, you're reading through the chapter, and you know there's something in that chapter that just stands out to you. You just write it down. And you know when you write down a, a verse or... <coughs> you know, for me, when I write down anything, it helps me to uh, retain it better. But so, so you take that, and then, you know, you've got this journal. So at the end of the time, at the, by the time you make your way through your Bible, you have got a thousand verses that you've written down your thoughts on. And that, I think, will go a long, long way in helping you, not, not only because the word of God is living and powerful and it's going to do something in you, but like I said, it's going to help you when you get into a conversation with your coworker, when you are, you know, out in the community and you're, you're talking to somebody or when, it, when an opportunity comes or somebody comes to you and says, hey, I've got this going on in my life. Can you, what, what do you, what does the Bible have to say about it? Um, so I, I think that, again, this is not the only way to do it, but it just seems to me like um, a, an easy way to uh, approach kind of meditating on scripture. And now, you know, maybe, maybe two chapters a day would be, would be better for you. I'm not saying you have to do three. I'm just giving you the, the stats on if you do three. But, you know, so maybe it's two chapters a day. You know, maybe it's a chapter in the morning before you kind of get out into your day. And maybe it's a chapter in the evening before you go to bed. I mean, we, we can do that. It's doable. It's, it's possible. And here's the reality. When you start doing that, you know what you're going to also start doing? You're going to say, you know what? I want, I, I'm not ready to finish yet. No, I, I'm going I'm to go a little bit further because the word of God has that. Uh, it, it grabs hold of us. Now, I would just practically um, recommend this. Uh, if you've never read through the Bible, then I would recommend, if you're going to follow this suggestion here, I would recommend that you start with the New Testament. Start with Matthew and just do that. Two chapters a day, three chapters a day, whatever it is. If you miss a day, don't worry about it. Just pick up. You know, if you miss two days, don't worry about it. Just pick up. But get, get in the habit and keep going. But start in Matthew, go through the book of Revelation, and when you get to the end of Revelation, go back and start in Genesis. Now, some of you have been through the Bible. You've read it before, so you, know, you, can, you can start in Genesis. But for somebody who's never done this, somebody who doesn't have a, a real strong uh, biblical foundation yet, start in the New Testament. And that's, that's where you want to initially get yourself established. So this is what the Bereans search the scriptures we want to be people who search the scriptures. As I said, we will tremendously benefit from it ourselves. And we will become a benefit and a blessing to others. And we will then be equipped to be used by God in this crazy, irrational, unreasonable age to speak the truth in love to people. 
and to see people come out of the confusion and to see them come out of the irrationality and to see them come out of the destructive uh, behavioral patterns that they're in and to come into uh, a new life in Christ. God's word plays a massive role in our lives as Christians from start to finish. And so whether you're just getting started or you're just getting finished, uh, you want to just hold fast to God's word all the way through. And so as we close, one final thing. Um, let me just take a quick moment and reason um, with some of you, maybe just even one of you, uh, but maybe there's somebody here today and you're not a Christian. And so let me remind you of what I said earlier. Um, you need your sins forgiven. Your sins are what's wrecking your life and perhaps the lives of people all around you. Your sin is what's keeping you away from God. God's, this is the picture the Bible gives. God's ear is not plugged up that he can't hear. His arm is not too short that he can't save, but your sins have separated you from God. And Jesus, he died to remedy that. He died to take sin out of the way so we could come into a relationship with God. And he did that because he loves you. The son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. That's how much God loves us. People say, well, I don't know. I don't think I believe in a God of love. Well, God said that he would demonstrate his love for us. And this is, this is how he would do it. He would give his son who would give his life. And Jesus said, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. He loves you. He's got a plan. He's got a purpose for your life, your identity, whatever it is you're searching for. It's all waiting for you there in a relationship with Christ. So open your heart to him today. So Lord, we thank you for, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that we live in a place where we can have a Bible, where we can purchase a Bible, where we can open a Bible and read it freely, where we can speak it even still today uh, out in public. Lord, we know that that is um, something that the devil absolutely hates and wants to squelch, but if he can just keep us from getting into the word, then he's accomplished a lot of what he desires. So Lord, help us to be men and women of the word. Help us, Lord, to search the scriptures so that we might be able to reason with those who need the answers to life. That we might see friends and family and loved ones acquaintances, Lord, that we might see people come out of the, the mass confusion into the wonderful beauty of a relationship with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.